Welcome back to Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to Planescape Torment. I'm Cameron, and I play the Nameless One. And I'm Danny, and I, I, I play the Nameless One. Do you remember the name that you gave the Nameless One last episode that we recorded? Of course, Stan Malone. <laughs> Why don't you say Stan Malone, then? Commit. No, we're the Nameless One, because in, in fiction, we are the Nameless One, and there's, like, several important points in this uh in this episode where we talk about my name, particularly with one mm. stinky fellow, if you if you talk to him. Top. Top of the thing. Yeah. Two important points to make. Mm-hmm. Number one, we, we have two missions. These are the same missions we talked about last episode, but these are broadly stated to be number one, looking for someone named Farad, and number two, looking for a journal. Yes. At the beginning of this episode... How many of those uh, mission goals had you accomplished? At the beginning, zero. Zero. At the end? One. Okay. Well, you know what? That's that's a little teaser. It's like uh, seeing the end of the movie before the before it starts. And you're like, oh, gosh, how'd they get there? Going to find out. Going to find out how they got there. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. You were saying there were a few points to point out before we begin in full. The second one is this game is just chock full of content. Yeah. There's like, a lot of stuff here. There, there really is, and I, you know, I, I, like I said last episode, I probably played this game, the last time I played this game all the way through was probably 2012, I believe, 2011, 2012, 2010, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. uh, I think 2011, I could go and look on the internet, I, I'm sure I could reverse engineer when I played it last, but point being is, I don't remember it having, like every NPC so far in this game that that we played for this week, I played about two and a half hours or so yeah i think i'm right at about uh two hours and 15 minutes or so but basically everyone i talked to had a big chunk of information to read through had like some big world building stuff or had a side quest for me and i think more importantly yeah it's you know have a side quest whatever more importantly it's like genuinely interesting there is a very high quality bar yeah i would say like, it, it doesn't feel like there, there. there's a lot of content. There are a lot of people with a lot of things to say. Very few of those things feel extraneous, as if, like, they have nothing to do with the world that I'm interacting with. You know, like, I'm talking to a tavern patron in the Friendly Armed Inn. Mm-hmm. But I will also say that I am certain that I will stop talking to as many people in, like, two episodes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just going to get to be too much, right? It's. I mean, it is interesting. The um, there are. I th- I I remember. Like we've played a lot of the this series already, right? This is episode forty five, and in Baldur's Gate and Siege of Dragonspear and Baldur's Gate two, when you're in a dense urban area, which is the area we're about to you know introduce, there are crowds of people, and you'll hit tab. And you'll see, and you kind of like scan to see, okay, what is a unique name in here, right? And on any given screen, there may be a couple. And I just feel like every 10 feet, there is one on on these maps. And and like the amount of information in the dialogue is just really above and beyond what we've seen so far. 
Yeah, there does seem to be something going on with scale. I think maybe all of this is worth saying within, contextualized within this statement, which is the four screens of the hive that we have, that were this kind of big general area that we are playing through in this episode. Mm -hmm. That's basically the size of like Walking's Promenade. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or, or like the slums or something in Baldur's Gate 2, right? Like, if you combine those four screens together, it would be roughly that size. So maybe if you think of the hit rate, you know, I don't know, maybe splitting it off into the four screens allows you to get a little bit more dense. Because if it were on one big screen, it would be more difficult to manage or it would seem more overwhelming. I don't know. But but there's something, to, there. there's an interesting thing happening where I don't think that there are actually more people to talk to per capita if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it feels like there's a lot more because of, of a density and a screen size. Yeah. No, I like got a, you The there. distribution is different, I guess, right? You're right. You're right. It's, I don't know. I just, uh, I think what it is is I find a lot of this content so fresh. Yeah. That it's even, it's it's kind of like really sticking out to me more. But this is all. This is all to, to digress. Where does this episode begin? So uh, I think I think at the very end of the last episode we talked about, we came out of the mortuary. Yeah. Right. We went out of that portal, in, out of the mortuary. We ended up in a little tomb, and then we walked out of that tomb, and we were in the hive. We're in the and hive, the hive is, which the hive is basically. It's kind of. I, I mean, is is this even accurate? It's kind of the slums. It's the wrong side of the tracks of the city of sigil yeah yes i think so and over the course of this episode we're going to talk about like uh like the slums and then the slums of the slums and then the slums beneath the slums yeah. basically yeah um but yeah i think so like it is where this is not where aristocracy lives this is not a business district this is like i, I mean there are real districts and cities like this all over the world right where like refuse and trash goes and then an economy of trash appears so yeah this is where and and if you'll if you'll uh, kind of entertain a little digression here mm -hmm. um a kind of about sigil itself right just to kind of preface mm -hmm. this is not a post scarcity society or is it? Yeah, well, I want, I want to hear your take on that, right? Well, so uh, that's an interesting question. It is technically post-scarcity. This is the brilliance. This is, I, I think yeah. this is what's Yeah, this uh, is what, like, cool. immediately grabbed me is, like, this kind of contradiction, right? Go because on. Because it's not post-scarcity. Like, it's post-scarcity in that if you have enough money and enough power, you could get anything and probably as many of any kind of thing as you wanted. So, for example, and we'll talk about this more explicitly later on in the episode, but if you wanted a fireplace that never went out and was, in fact, infinite energy, you can open up a gate to the elemental plane of fire from Sigil, and you could have that. Yes. If you wanted water in your tap, this also shows up uh, in the bar that we're going to talk about later, but if you wanted a tap in your bar that distributed the purest, an infinite amount of the purest water in the multiverse, you could do that from the elemental plane of, of water. And if you wanted, like, material goods or things like that, you could get, you could import all of those from the other planes. Yes, because so, Sigil is, for those just joining us, God forbid, here we are, episode <laughs> 45, Sigil is the nexus of all of the multiverse. There, mm -hmm. it is any given plane of existence in any like 
D&D ass or non-D&D ass dimension is but a doorway away here in Sigil. And as such, because of that ease of access, there is this level of like, for a certain level of access, yeah, it is post-scarcity because all of these things are merely like a portal away. Ooh, it's right there. Yes. Post-scarcity is here, but it is unevenly distributed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's the, I think that's like part of the, the, the pull to it. Right. So like when, for the class that post-scarcity has been implemented in the sense that like all things are possible in the grand economy, in the, in the general economy uh, of, uh, of the, the multiverse, right? For everyone else below that, it's some real trickle down shit. It's it's right. trickle down almost in the purest, like in like a non figurative sense of that word, right? Yeah, there is a really great moment. I don't know if you you talk to this person, and this is going to happen. I think we're going to say this a million times over the course of playing through Planescape Torment, but we're going to say a lot. I think I don't know if you talk to this person, yeah. but um, but in the marketplace, um, there is a woman who is selling uh, like home goods she's selling plates and cups and Mm -hmm. some stuff like that and the description you get from that is like that they are of of different qualities some are really fine and some are kind of chipped and some are garbage blah 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 and you know you can ask hey where did you get all this stuff and i think the first thing she says is she says oh all of my lovers are thieves which i I think is a a pretty funny Mm -hmm. thing and then she's like actually no like my family are all uh they're all like tinkers. And so we get broken goods from rich people and then we fix them up and then we sell them here. Mm. Um, we get this kind of dual narrative, but it literally is that trickle down economy, no matter what, right? Whether, whether all of her lovers are thieves or whether she's from a family of tinkers, those goods come from a class that can import them with impunity from wherever they want, and then they get put into this lower economy of barter and trade and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and I, I was thinking even a more literal term of, of a trickle-down economy in terms of there is just so much surplus in this post-scarcity circle of sigil that some of it inevitably just, like, spills into the hive, right? Yes. Like, some yeah. phenomena spill into the hive, be they... Be they extra planar creatures or phenomena such as the the tap, right? That uh, informal economies encircle and kind of like uh, are interwoven into the, these kind of uh, these fountains of surplus. Um, that 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 the these this lower realm of society doesn't really have formal control over. Did you see the? Did you did you talk to like a Dabus? I don't know yes. how you actually say that. Yeah, I love that we're starting here because this is one of the first like weird things that I saw after I yeah, after the, I, I mean, left the mortuary, and it was just like it fucking sold me on this game. But this is like part of the the weirdness, right? Like, I, and maybe even like the language of of post scarcity or or whatever, right? Maybe that is too uh, prime material plane. Sure, sure, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? But like, there's something about that. So, do you want to say a little bit about what the Davis is? So, the way I notice is the first thing I notice is this little creature that's kind of hacking away at a building, and I notice, uh, and and they're they're shuffling around really quickly. It's a floating creature with a shock of white hair. Right. And I go up to this creature 
and there's this very vivid like all the descriptions in this game when when you do dialogue are just so on point they're so well written but yeah it's this kind of floating creature with like a strange skin color and a shock of white hair it's just a very otherworldly aspect to this creature and uh i try to engage it in conversation and and sigils or rather symbols floating glowing symbols appear kind of around its head and moriarty kind of fills me in and says hey this is actually you know this is a debus and these things are always you know uh building or hacking away or moving the creations of the city of sigil on behalf of the lady of pain and already we're like five feet deep in lore right <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um and it's really cool because when i engage this creature i try to engage this creature in conversation and moriarty mort uh mort 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 Mort. I've got I like a, it. It's Moriarty, Moriarty, and Morty, Morty, and Mort. And Mort. Okay, uh-huh. and Mort, the, the three skulls that follow you around. And Mort uh, tells me, "Don't even bother. They're giving these like Davis signals, and they only do it to like piss everyone off. So just forget about it." And I'm like, "Well, look, hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna engage this thing. So like, I use patience, and I just kind of like, and I slowly begin to understand the signals that he's sending on a rudimentary level." I'm not able to glean much information from it, but it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like my experience with this creature. So we haven't really talked about the characters that we've created for this game. My, my character has like a very high wisdom and a very high charisma and is kind of like a uh, a sage of sorts. Yeah, because we we did a bad job of communicating before. <laughs> well, we didn't talk we... about this last episode. You don't yeah, have to yeah. know that we had a bad we did a bad job of communicating. Well, otherwise this won't make sense. But yeah, so we made a bad we did a bad job mm-hmm. because we both went for independently, the, independently without talking about it, which was a huge mistake. Um, we independently went for the high charisma, high wisdom, and then like whatever your dump stat. Or, or wisdom, charisma, intelligence is my triumvirate. Yeah. Um, and whatever leftover points I think went into dexterity, uh, I want to say. And since we had that conversation, like, I've played this game primarily uh, via speech before, right? Like, doing all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I said, oh, I'll go back and I'll replay the intro as, like, a strength and dexterity char- character and then I'll just go from there. And I did not do that. Oh, man. <laughs> I've con- no, I've just continued. But but I've leveled up several times, right? Mm-hmm. And I've put my stats into dexterity. So I'm, I'm statting myself up from now on into a more fighterly role. And I took a lot of fights in this episode. Okay. Um, but I did not go back and play the first hour again. Yeah, I'm a complete coward. And but, uh, my highest stat, I think all the points, I've, I've like put points into charisma. But uh, so it's like charisma is my highest stat and then wisdom and then dexterity and everything else is tied for last. But I so I will say this, uh the the last time I played this game, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how the classes worked. I didn't know what any of the stats actually meant for the game and I made it through the game, you know, fairly easily. And so I'm just authentically playing the game yeah. where all of my stats are like in disarray and I'm playing it incorrectly. It'll be fine. I'm mm-hmm. not worried about it. So I think that we're going to also hear this a lot in you know, in addition to I don't know if you talk to this person, but I think we need to catch up on some lore here. Mm-hmm. Who, who is the Lady of Pain? 
Oh God! All right, hold on. I'll, I'll so me, yeah. Do you want me to just tell you based on what I have organically figured out only from like the Davis and maybe a couple other sources of? Uh, yeah, you tell me what you think, and then I'll give you the full rundown. Yeah, the Lady of Pain, according to what Morty told me, was mm-hmm. that basically the Lady of Pain looks similar in some ways to this Davis. The Lady of Pain has a a face that is outlined with sharp knives and she floats around and she's big. She's like a big old giant and she runs Sigil. And what she says goes and you shouldn't heap praise upon her nor should you heap uh, any kind of condemnation. People are hesitant to even talk about her. Um... But yeah, that's basically the information I have so far. I think that's it. That's that's the information. I mean, there's some additional like uh, you know lore, like capital L lore about it, but that's it. I mean, what do you know about the capital L lore? Um, and how I mean, did not, you find it out? Not enough. I mean, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page about it. Uh huh. Um, and I've read like through the Planescape uh, campaign. I think and that stuff she. Like that before. I, I mean, in some splat book in 3.5, I read a blurb about her. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense because Sigil can be like your planar zone that you go to. It's, it's I mean, like a like, high-level hub, basically. I mean, there's something to it, too. I don't know if it's not here on the website that I'm looking at currently, but my I, my assumption, this could this is not even my understanding necessarily, but my assumption was always that there's something that, in the same way that, you know, each given god has their own little subdomain, mm-hmm. right? That, like, this is her subdomain. That she has, she has sovereignty over Sigil. Yes. yes. In the same way that Loth would have sovereignty over the demon web pits. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That is my assumption. So she has a deity status here in Sigil. Yeah. Man, what does that say about fucking Sigil that you're the deity over whom, you know, you know, who rules this place? is named A, the Lady of Pain, and she appears as a like a woman with knives around her head. Like what are what's what's the message here? Um don't don't mess with her. I don't know what to tell you. Uh so this is on the uh on this like fandom wiki okay. that I've pulled up. Yes. Here. Rumor has it that even greater deities have fallen before the lady. The shattered temple in Sigil was a major temple of Aoscar, uh the god of portals. That would make a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who attempted to bring the city under his control. After his power had reached a certain point, she killed him with a thought, shattering the Grand Temple and throwing his priests into the mazes of her making. And she, like, makes mazes um, for people who displease her. What is her Uh, domain, exactly? Like, what's she about? Mm, I don't know if there's that kind of thing going on Mm. in Planescape Torment, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The lady is said to have the power to control each and every portal and sigil, opening and barring them at will. Um, for all of her power, she apparently refuses to be worshipped as a goddess. Anyone brave or foolish enough to worship her has met a grisly demise in the shadow of her blades. So she's, like, there's a way, this is some real, uh, like, theorycraft stuff, but it is is interesting to think of the Lady of Pain as the god, or a god, of communication. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? There are kind of two, like, major communication theory um ways of thinking about how communication works right so there's uh communication happens yeah there's chomsky and language trees 
there's Delizian and Guatarian rhizomes, and mm-hmm. that is it. Yeah. That's, no. <laughs> but but no, there's like uh like a, like you know they're not really competing schools, but they're ways of thinking of communication. So one says that communication is made up of signals, and one says that communication is made up of gaps. So mm. uh, you know every time that we are talking and we are making contact, this is school number you know school A, that is when communication is occurring. Uh, the second school says that is in fact what we don't say in the absences of communication when we break signals that are the things that matter because they give context to the signal that does come out, blah, blah, mm. blah. And it seems like pain and blades are, are things that, that deal with that and opening and closing portals. So. Interesting. Fascinating stuff. But yeah, so I think a lot of this episode is just kind of us or at least me, you've played this game before, but us kind of as a show exploring what is this Lady of Pain's place about? What, like, give us this this corner, at least, of Sigil, this corner of Sigil that we're experiencing. Yeah, and I think rather than narrate, like, point A to point B to point D to point F. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I just want to talk about like some locations in the hive that I thought were really cool. Yeah. Um, kind of in the way that we talked about the, you know, like uh, each individual zone in Baldur's Gate 2. Yeah. So the obelisk. Yes. One of the first uh, places you see, like if you just head straight out of that uh, mortuary, you're going to see this uh, little, this little area, the square building of sorts right in the middle of that zone. Yeah, and so it's like a little square building, like you said, but it's got a big black, like obsidian obelisk in the middle, mm-hmm. and the you know, inside like of it, the the walls are like this black, and there's all these scratches over the over the walls. Yeah, and so so like the first person I talked to in there called it quote unquote the tomb of the plains, mm. um, and and by that they meant that everyone who comes to the dustmen, remember the dustmen from last episode, yeah. they give people the true death. They're basically destroying bodies and then recycling some of the other ones. Um, that this is where the dustmen come to denote that the person has been given the true death. They are dead. Yeah, their name's they're, free now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's actually not even just the true death because the woman who's a ghost, she was there, Dianara. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's in there, and she doesn't have the true death at all. She's, in fact... A ghost. Well, it may just be that the uh, the soteriology of the of the dustman is just false, right? Like that could be a thing too. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time <laughs> in the dust in the dustman bar, so I don't know. Yeah, um, we're gonna talk. I, I we'll talk maybe a little bit about the skeptic. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, who is who is very cool. But yeah, so so there are all these people here who I think are like checking to see if people they know are dead. Mm-hmm. That's like one reason, and the other reason is to come and bury people's names. Which I think there's a lot of cool stuff being done here just with the basic idea of like names have power and what you do with a name and how a name calls you. All of those things have an impact on you. That gets paid off later in a section that I played that you did not. We'll talk about it next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but but some, some cool people here. There's death of names. The person who retires names or buries names. You can talk you can act- to, yeah, you can talk to death of names and immediately death of names is like, hey, what's your name? Give me a name. Mm-hmm. And if you say, well, well, I don't, I don't have a name. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have one of those. That name's like, well, can't help you. Disqualified. <laughs> Next. Yeah. And if you're like, hey, I want to bury some names. Uh, lo and behold, everyone I know is dead. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I, you can <laughs> say doll, though. 
Yes. And and he's like, yeah, Dahl's still around. He's still kicking. Yeah. Dahl's still still. Although I didn't kill Dahl, I wonder if you did like kill Dahl. Surely in this situation, he'd be like, yeah, Dahl is dead, and you killed him. Well, Guards. Well, I, yeah, I wonder if you can come back. I haven't killed anyone of note yet mm-hmm. to retire. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple other things here. There's there's some quests. Yeah. Um, there's uh, a quest from a woman named Sev Tai. And there's a quest from a dude named Ban the Cinder. Mm-hmm. Did you do either of these? I do. I did the Ban the Cinder quest. You want you want to talk about that a little bit? So Ban is uh, looks very out of place. He's in a, a kind of ostentatious purple outfit. Yeah, he looks like he belongs in Baldur's Gate. He does a hundred percent. Looks like he's got some pantaloons on, and he is just a messenger, basically. And and the message that he needs to send is to a fellow named Craddock. Mm-hmm. And he can't find Craddock. I'll tell you why he can't find Craddock. He's like two zones over, but I yeah, digress. He's not in this loading He's not area in this area. He's um, not loaded into the game right now. And uh, basically, the message is something quite mundane. It's just, hey, send this uh, message to this... And it's like a business message, like, "Hey, if there, if if it's if the shipment's three days late, there'll be a penalty." I think is something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think the shipment needs to come out earlier. Yeah, and uh, you can meet Craddock later, and Craddock's like, "Well, I'll tell you what I need to do to, in order to meet this deadline. I got to get all my uh, people. I get all my people working because this one person's not even here." And you can you can kind of finagle getting that person to work. And uh, and or do like actual labor for Craddock, and you get like some little bonuses. Oh no, there's better stuff here. There's, there's better like, stuff like here. Like this is this is much deeper than it. Yeah. So I think this person's name that you got the worker you got to go find. I think their name is Jendai. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. I didn't write it down, um, so I'm just going off off of memory. But you go and find him, and he's outside of a bar, wandering okay. around in the street, <laughs> and you're like, hey, hey, dude. You gotta go to work. Like Craddock needs you to come to work because there's a shipment going out. And this dude's like, okay, maybe it's worth saying here that this game uses Pike yourself. Yeah. Have, have you caught this as as a euphemism for go fuck yourself? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And it's everywhere. And so he's like, oh, go tell him to go Pike himself. Blah blah blah. And he like says all kinds of stuff. Also, Cutter is like adventurer or cutthroat. Like you're referred to as a Cutter a lot. Yeah, just a yeah, vagabond it, or like someone who's out of place. You cutter. Yeah, there's a there's a word too for house that keeps showing up, and also money. It's like a J word. Yeah, like jingle or or something. Jack, like Jack or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's for. But anyway, yeah, we may we should maybe uh, create a little glossary of, mm-hmm. of important terms. But all of that is to say, so Jindai like says all this stuff, and you got to go back to credit and be like, hey, this dude, this dude, you know really gave you one and you have the option of saying of repeating exactly what he said to him <laughs> or or like softening the blow mm-hmm. and i just repeated verbatim what have you know what jendai said you know he said go pike yourself and blah 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 and all this stuff and uh craddock then starts cursing a lot mm-hmm. and he just like starts cursing up a storm and mort is paying attention to it and mort's like dang i've learned a lot of stuff here today <laughs> I've learned a lot of I've learned a lot of cursing information. Um, and then so then I had the option of of uh, you know I volunteered with Craddock and I told him hey I'll I'll work a day 
that because Jindai can't do it, I'll just take his wages for the day. And so then I got paid for that, blah, blah, blah. Hard, honest work. But this is the the payoff. Mm -hmm. Did you talk to Mort about any special skills he has? No. Are you not talking to your party members? I have talked to Mort once at the beginning of this episode. And he kind of said, yeah, you need to find Farad. Yes, so you need to like check up with him basically after every major plot point happens. Okay. Because he will have a whole lot of things to say. And so, but, but due to, I think, a YouTube comment or a Reddit comment or something from the last episode, um, they said, make sure you talk to Mort because you can get litany of curses. And this is like Mort's special ability. Mm. Um, it's like an interrupt. It's like a stun. And it works okay. on spellcasters, and it's very good. Um, and uh, so I talked to Mort. This is, a, this is a big build-up to it. But I talk to Mort. I say, hey, what about this litany of curses? And he's like, listen, I'm real, real damn good at, at screaming at people and cursing at them. Uh-huh. And then I got a tool chip that appeared on the screen. And it said, Mort can do this. This is an ability. It's a stun. It's an interrupt. Blah, blah, blah. The more Mort hears people curse in the game. So if you get into conversations where people are cursing up a storm... Mort will get better at Litany of Curses. Oh, that's so good. Isn't that? So when he's like, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much. When he gets that little unique dialogue in the conversation, it is literally interacting with Litany of Curses as an ability. That's great. Isn't that very good? That's so good. Isn't that everything you wished uh, Baldur's Gate was doing? That's everything I wish uh, Far Cry was doing right now, to be honest. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah, same. Same. If I could scream curses into the microphone and get any benefit for it. (laughs) Or just hearing children curse at me. <laughs> if, if only my stats went up when that happened. Yeah, that um, would be the best. Uh, that's like actually the best way to curb toxicity is every time you curse, your enemies get 10% more powerful. Oh. <laughs> Why? Ha- well, how? Hire me, literally. Well, you heard it here. Why am I not hired? Copyright. That's, that's that. copyright. I'm that sorry. Down. You need to write that down on, in a letter and then mail it to yourself uh, before this episode goes up. Um, but okay, but yeah, anyway. So yeah, that, let me... That was my ban the sender. Let me, let me tell you about... Uh, I, I, I feel excited. I want to I wanna share with you two things. The first is... Um, and it reminded me when you talked about how there's a lot of payoff that I don't know about about names and about how mm-hmm. their true power talking about the obelisk and about all those names written down. Well, did you speak to Requind? Mm, I don't think so. So I kind of got lost on the way to our end destination here, so I kind of like went, went in some strange directions. There is this vagabond, or he's kind of like... He's basically this really disheveled-looking person. Mm-hmm. And his name's Requind. And as you are speaking to him, he will burp. And he will, you know, shift his weight from one side to another. And in the words of the game, every time they phrase it this way, break wind. (laughs) Okay. He's just very stinky. Like, he smells so bad. Sometimes he'll just, like, say a word and, like, it'll be an aspirant. And, like, it'll just, like, hit you like a fucking wall, like his bad breath. Mm -hmm. He smells terrible. But anyway, he has this very strange way of talking. and, And, you're you know, you're talking to him. And, uh, and you're like, Hey, I'll, I'll give you a, give you a story for a few, for a few coppers. And and you kind of ask, you can ask him a few questions, right? And I'm looking for Farad, Farad. How do, how do we want to, we want to do this the baseball way or the, the Pharaoh way? 
I I have just said ferret, but it doesn't matter. Okay. Because it's a made up ass fantasy. It's a made up ass fantasy word, Feyrod, and <laughs> so I'm I'm asking about Feyrod, and the and and Requind tells me, well, I know a story about that, and I ask Requind, well, hold on, where'd you get that name? And Requind's like, yeah, names have a lot of power. Um, mm. Requind is not a name that is my natural name, but it's a name that's been given to me. But there's one time where. Uh, you know, where my true name was revealed, and uh, that's how I'm in the state that I am now. So, like, there's, there's, he, he, and what Requin does when he tells a story is he pantomimes this, like, the, the writing is so good, and hopefully you'll see the Danny vision on this, but, um, he will pantomime, like, all of these, like, actions as he's telling a story. And he'll do things like do dramatic like uh, flourishes of his arms and uh, he'll like kind of like tiptoe around as he's talking. And this is all, you know, written in the, in the dialogue. But anyway, I ask him about, hey, what's the deal with uh, Feyrod? And Requind, for a, a few coppers or something, tells me this tale of Feyrod. And I'm going to stop calling him that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> tells me the tale of Feyrod. And the story goes a little like this. Farid was looking for something, but he could not find it. And in order to, like, overcome this obstacle of him looking for something, he had to give up everything. He had to give up all nobility that he had. And he had to become the king of trash. And Farid, like, wilted away and basically rescinded any kind of humanity he had in order to, like, get this goal. I only say this because at the end of this episode, there is, like, a payoff for me hearing this story from this, like, requind. And it is mm. very cool. Okay. Um, the other character that I wanted to talk about before we moved on, did you talk to Ingress? No. Ingress is amazing. Ingress is a... Is a, is a woman, and she's described as being in rags. She's described as having a darker complexion. And she's described as having, like, I think it's her right arm is, uh, is partial, part of it's missing, and it looks like it's melted wax, half of it, right? Hmm. And she is completely freaked out when you talk to her. And I'm not going to give you the whole, like, uh, timeline of like the conversation but this is the gist of it Ingress has been here for 30 years she has been away from her plane her natural plane for 40 years she was just like in the woods one day and she walked through a portal and then she ended up in sigil and she can't get back to her home world she tried for 10 years to find the portal back to her home world, and she describes the way portals work in Sigil. Anything can be a portal, she says. Any any, oh, any window, any doorway, any gateway, if you have the right implement on you, it becomes a portal and you just go somewhere else. And she begins to talk about this incredible trauma she experienced for 10 years trying to find her home world. 
And she intimates, in some of these places, if you go through there, you have to pay a tithe of flesh just to get out. And she intimates that's the reason why she's missing her arm. And she says, for the last 30 years, I've avoided all portals. So she has lived outside. She refuses to go inside because she's afraid she will accidentally trigger a portal because she says anything could be the key to a portal, right? A thought, thrice thought, like a glass bead, a piece of refuse, you know, your fingers mm-hmm. crossed in a strange way. Anything could be a portal. So in order to avoid be getting sucked into some hell, she has like basically stayed outside for the last 30 years. Well, I think that if I had to, to melt my arm off to get back to the place I didn't even want to go, I probably wouldn't do that again. Yeah, no, so I mean, like, me. that's the thing is like the, the player character has options to call her ridiculous. I did not think that was ridiculous at all because she was obviously like went through 30 years of hell trying to like or 10 years of hell trying to get back home. So, well, you know, that's an interesting thing that, to bring up now. I don't find myself using like the uh, like the asshole dialogue option dialogue options in this game very mm-hmm. much mm-hmm. just just at all it seems like a lot of people have a lot of problems that i can't do anything about they're like a whole pay grade above my abilities in this game to do anything about them and so i'm just very sympathetic and i say oh that seems bad for you sorry and can, i go can i give you day. a theory as to why you feel that way mm-hmm. because this character is automatically in a much more marginal, coming from a much more marginalized place than any PC in Baldur's Gate. I think that actually matters. I, there is something, there's something really interesting that Planescape Torment I feels like to me, because of the way that it has you sandwiched in the narrative world from, from jump, mm-hmm. right? Like you're, you, people know who you are. You have baggage. They've met you before. Yeah, you've got a lot of baggage and you don't know what that baggage is, right? So you're always kind of on the back foot in any, I think I talked about this in the last episode, but you're kind of always on the back foot as far as like, what do people know about you and what do you know about them, which is nothing? And how do you navigate that space? Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's there's less power fantasy to it, and and I'm I'm saying that in the most generic term. But mm-hmm. like, there's there's less like, I'm a person. I started at level one. I'm gonna go up to level ten. I'm gonna fight all the monsters along the way. It really seems like there are so many powerful entities in this world, and they are so close, and they are literally like turning hostile to me in the streets and beating me up. There's so many of those kinds of things that that I don't feel like I'm in a position to just be be a jerk all yeah. the time. Like it just doesn't seem feasible. Also, and is it not easier to empathize with a character that's like, "Man, I'm messed up when you woke up on a slab with a giant memento tat like scarred on your back." Mhm. Right? And you've and the one thing that you you know that you need to have, you don't even have your journal. Yeah. So well, and your name and your name and you don't you don't even have a name so yeah I think uh, I think that all of those kind of contribute so yeah so I don't know I think we both went to one establishment uh, the Gathering Dust Bar yeah yeah so this is the the Dustman Bar and I don't I don't want to talk about it too much just mm-hmm. because like it really didn't end up 
painting out for me, but this is like what the dustmen do when they're not uh, giving people the true death. It seems they seem pretty boring. They're pretty boring because they're like they're pretty deeply ideological, right? Yeah, they got like one thing they're doing, and they and they uh, kind of do it unerringly. Um, but yeah, but they're so. I'll just go through like the people who were here um, mm-hmm. and like give you like the one line about them because it's an interesting little ecology. Okay, so there's someone named like Narok. N O R O C H J Narok, mm-hmm. who is looking for a thief who is dressed as a dustman, which I initially thought was your thief from inside the, uh, um, in, inside the mortuary. I'm not mm. sure that that's actually the same person. There is someone named. So, Mortai- let, can I can I interrupt you here? Sure. You remember when we leave the mortuary and you're in that little tomb for a second? Did you see mm-hmm. what was on the ground? Mm-hmm. It was a, a letter to that person. There's definitely a letter to the person undercover there. Yeah, there's a letter to the person who's undercover, which is how I went to the Gathering Dust Bar, actually. Mm-hmm. It says, you should go to the Gathering Dust Bar, and you should talk to someone named Imoric. It actually has 80 coppers there, too, which I snapped right up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because Imoric is actually looking for Farad as well, and you can kind of, like, negotiate that. Um, you can you can actually join the Dustmen, I guess. I got all the way to taking my Dustmen vows before I backed off of that, because I didn't know what the repercussions would be. Um, but already, like, this is the first screen, basically, of, of the, um, you know, this is the first major area outside the mortuary you can go to as far as, like, an inside space, and everything is pointing you toward Farad. Yeah. Like, you can, you can ask everyone you meet, where's Farad? And some people know, and some people don't. Like, uh, I literally talked to someone on the street who was just named, quote-unquote, Harlot. And the harlot was like, yeah, he's in Ragpicker Square. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just just go there. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's not hard. But it's it's basically, like, figuring out what faction or what group do you want to become involved with on your way to going to, to Farad, which is interesting. So, anyway, talk to Amoric. I didn't join the uh, the Dustmen. There's someone named Mortai Gravesend who, like, gave me all the information about how the dustmen, all of them are trying to get you to sell them your body after you're dead. And yeah, they want to. They, w- <laughs> they just want you to uh, to sell your corpse. Yeah, but because like they get to turn it in for money when you're dead, and you're not going to need it, so they'll pay you up front for it. Um, but they like they are all competing with each other, like insurance salesmen, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is very funny, like inverse insurance salesmen. Mm-hmm. And then there is someone named uh, Seer or Sari. Seer, probably the skeptic. Yes. Which I had a really brief conversation with her where she says she spent, she's she's an older woman and she says, I've spent my entire life believing in the true death, the, you know, the oblivion, getting rid of the body, not coming back to life, all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the other day I was like sick with a fever and I was going to die. I thought I was going to die. And everyone was wandering around me saying, oh, she's so lucky. She's so lucky she gets to die now because that's what they all believe. And uh, it really bummed her out and made her think she didn't believe mm. in the Dustman ideology anymore. And without without saying anything more about it, it is very curious to me how similar this is to True Detective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to a important plot point in True Detective, mm-hmm. and it, like it's worth looking at those two conversations. And seeing what's up with that, it's a, a fascinating thing. That's all I'll say. Yeah, but yeah, but 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 yeah, basically, this is like a whole bar of breadcrumbs. If you really want to get involved in like the Dustman faction and figuring that out, it felt a lot like a Fallout game to me, like Fallout One or Two. 
um, that was like a concentrated little area that was dedicated to one faction and, mm-hmm. and their business, basically. Yeah, there was a point where I could go speak to Emoric, and Emoric was also looking for uh, Farad, right? Mm-hmm. And you could kind of enter into a into into a, an arrangement with Amoric where I would find out where Farad was and like report back to Amoric, but I decided not to do that because I think mm-hmm. the dustman might be bad. I think they also might be bad as well. And <laughs> I didn't go back and report on them. I I actually didn't think about that until after I was done recording. I was like, "Oh, I think I can like hook those things up." I I think interestingly enough, there are moments of connection that happen mm-hmm. of like you reading two different people's descriptions of something, or you can tell that they're talking about each other where your journal doesn't update or anything. Right. But you can go and talk to the person about them. Yeah. Like there, there, there've been a couple moments like that so far, and I'm sure that we'll delve into that more um, as time goes on. Do you want to tell me a little bit about uh, Porphyron? Yeah. So I don't remember exactly which area this was in, but Porphyron is a person that has like a very stilted way of speaking with a lot of colons, <laughs> colons in it. Porphyron has these tattoos that uh, move on his face, depending on his mood. And basically, Porphyron is this great warrior. But he's kind of sad. He's angry. And I ask him, hey, what, 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 what's you got your temper going on? What, what's going on there? And he says, well, I just had like this something, something that was very important to me has been stolen. Um, so, I'm, so I'm sorry about that. And I said, well, hold on. I thought you said you were a great warrior. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a really great warrior. I, I can rock the socks out of, out of everybody. And I say, well, what's the deal? Why is it that you aren't, uh, you know, using those warrior skills to avoid getting your shit robbed, buddy? And he says, well, it would it would not be right to like ever ever instigate violence until like the great tribulation comes. We're saving all of our violence, <laughs> all of our like skills at war until like this great kind of uh, kind of religious moment, this you know revelation of sort. And uh, and I say, well, I could probably help you uh, get your stuff back. And he's like, well, can you promise you won't use violence? And I was like, oh, I'll do my best. And he's like, well, I'm okay with that. Um, but I have not found the person responsible yet. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it'll pay off at some point. It'll pay off, I imagine, at, at some sometime down the line. But yeah, I, I really liked him. So um, I guess like the last location I want to talk about really, really quickly, and I think we'll talk about it again later, uh, probably in the next episode, but it's the Smoldering Corpse Bar. Mm. Did you go into this location? Did not go in. You did not go in here? Yeah. We're going to save it then. Okay. We'll save it until next episode. Yeah, uh, it looks packed. It is it, not just packed, but it's like some of the more interesting stuff I think is there. I will just say for listeners who are familiar or listeners who aren't, there's a there's a um, grabbable party member who is in there, uh, Dakon. Um, his sword is in Baldur's Gate 2 uh, in the Adventurer's Mart. I'm sure that you've seen that. Dang. Um, but but yeah, so he's a Githzerai, you know, the Gith, go back to whatever episode that was when we extensively talked about the Gith. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, he's that guy, and we'll talk about him more next episode. But I do have him, um, and he's like my third party member. 
And I'm looking for the other party members, too. I didn't find any more that I could recruit at this point. But, yeah, so you went and found Farad, right? Yeah, so you get to Ragpicker Square, and you can... um, you can talk to several different people. I talked actually to a uh, someone with Grave in the name, but it wasn't Grave Send. It was like a different person with Grave in the name. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I asked about Farad, and this person was like really angry at Farad because this was a competing collector. Collectors are people that basically sell corpses to the dustmen. Like that's this is this kind of parasitic economy that has sprung up around the dustmen cult. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, this person wants to get rid of his competition, and also he's very curious as to where Farid is getting like this huge glut of corpses. Because as far as this fellow, this other collector is concerned, like there isn't some major conflict happening. Like there's not a massacre or a genocide occurring. So this fellow, this other collector, is just utterly puzzled by where Farid could be getting all these like this these corpses that are otherwise unaccounted for. Mm-hmm. And he tasks me with finding out where these corpses are coming from. So I say, sure, and he kind of gives me loose directions. He's like, yeah, you go up the platforms. So you go up the platforms, and it turns out if you have a piece of junk in your inventory, which I did from forever ago, um, you can there's a portal that you can take to Trashland. Yes, which is very, you know, uh, you were talking about the NPC earlier. Right? Yeah, Requin. Anything could be a portal. It, it is interesting to me, oh, excuse me, but it is interesting to me that, that we've gotten this basic bit of information so many times already, and it's clearly to set up that this is how you get to Ragpicker Square, right? Because yeah. the Dianara, the ghost, she told us that, and then we found the, the portal that way. Then you get this other unrelated NPC who gives you the same little bit of information. Like they are really selling you on the idea that that portals can show up anywhere. Yes, which is good, I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's setting the right kind of expectations. But basically, when I get zapped into uh, Trashland, I'm immediately confronted with a with a meanie. <laughs> Did that happen to you? Uh, in Trashland? I don't think so. Tell yeah, the it. first thing that happened when I when I went down there is a group of uh, a group of kind of vag- uh, you know high women mm-hmm. and one leader confronts me and they say, "Hey, what are you doing?" And I think it might be my wisdom that I was leaning on, but I said, "Hey, you better watch out because you don't want to get on the wrong side of the Lady of Pain here. You don't want to oh, get out of line." Yeah. I did have this happen, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they they left me alone, but there were still like other groups of uh, of thieves and criminals that uh, that confronted me on my way from that entrance to Farad. Yeah, so I beefed it on that first one Oof. somehow, and so I had to fight all those dudes. But interestingly enough, when you leave this kind of like connection zone, whatever it is, I guess Ragpicker Square proper or the inside, it's the Hidden Village or something like that. Yes. The buried village. Yes. Um, so there's there's the group when you enter, and there's a group when you leave. And the group when you leave, they were like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" And I was like, "Look, I just I just want to I just want to go through that trap door over there." And they were like, "Okay, sure." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there was there was no there was no like interrogation or anything. They're like, "Okay, that's that's fine. Just don't don't mess anything up down yeah. there." 
Um, and so, yeah, so you go down in there and you're like in this, I mean, it's a city beneath a city, right? It's a sewer city, the worst kind. Mm-hmm. Well, it, look, it is the, okay, you take the slums of a extra planar city, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you imagine what's the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. Okay. Well, imagine like where, where those people throw their garbage. Okay. And then you imagine what, if, what if there's a hidden city underneath that? And this, that's what this is. And that's what pretty that cool. was. Like, it's just a, like a bunch of people hanging out. There's no one trying to beat me up. <laughs> Unlike every other city uh, or every other location that I've been to. Or there are fewer people trying to beat me up, I should say. Yeah. Um, but then Ferret is there. So what is, is this payoff that you're talking about with Reekwind and all this stuff? I can recite that entire story to Ferret and he loses his shit. <laughs> what? <laughs> You can just repeat it to him verbatim? Not verbatim, because I'll never be able to summon, like, the pantomime that uh, mm-hmm. that Requind has. But I tell it, like, in a very matter-of-fact, like, semi-hostile way. Well, I heard, Farid, that there were, you know, there was once this man who had everything and who gave it all up for one goal. And Farid's like, don't you fucking say it. Don't you fucking say it. And then you can, like, do, you can keep telling him, like, over five dialogue options. And Farid's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And eventually, Farid, like, freaks out and points his finger at you. And he's like, well, you're a liar because you said you would, like, you would retrieve an object for me and you haven't yet. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm still getting it, buddy. And he's like, well, get out of here. But anyway, that's kind of jumping the gun here. But... Yeah, Ferret ends up requesting this object. We have to do. Uh, we have to go get the go get the gold snitch or what have you. Yeah, it's like a bronze sphere. Yeah. Um. But but what is what is interesting to me is that I had in my head that Ferret was going to be like uh like a thief king. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like like um like the thieves guild guy. Yeah. From, yeah. I can't I can't come up with his name uh, off the top of my head. So memorable. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean you uh. <laughs> I almost said Sam and Haverian, but I mean, he is a memorable character. I just can't come up with his name. Mm-hmm. Um, but from Baldur's Gate 2. Uh, so I had that idea, right? This was going to be like a bunch of thieves and things like that. But it really is just a bunch of people living in a trash pile. And and he is like an, an elderly man who's like using uh, one of his feet. Uh, the description that I got is that one of his legs is just turned the wrong way. Mm. It, it's like off to the side mm-hmm. um something bad had happened he like uses a crutch to get around which is like not the i don't know just ba- based on the way that people have talked about him uh he doesn't seem like he's an elderly man he seems like uh you know he's like a young vivacious you know someone who forced is, to be reckoned with a disruptor a real silicon valley type well it seems <laughs> like in, in the like what we got was the godfather Mm-hmm. But what it seemed like he was like was like an upstart, I guess I should say. Mm. Like there's some there's some time stuff that happens in this game. I mean, this is the eternal problem with all of these games, right? But there's some time stuff that's very weird. When we talk about the smoldering corpse bar in Ignis the Wizard uh, in next episode, I guess yeah. there's some weird stuff going on with that too, which will pay off after this quest that you do for Farad. But mm-hmm. but yeah, so we gotta go. We gotta go get the golden snitch, as it were. Um. And I'm very excited about that. Before we before we end, where is? Uh, did you ask Farad where he was getting all these corpses? Yes, I did. He is straight up pulling a Glanton gang on the Dustmen. F- 
Farid has discovered the like this this uh sacred tomb, like the sacred storied tomb of former dustmen who are interred there after dying. And he's just recycling the corpses yeah, back to just, the dust. It's like cold storage. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he, he's going to the back of, of the of the Walmart and he's like getting things off the loading dock and putting them on a truck and just delivering it with the same truck. It's no, he's he's getting them off the truck, delivering them to Walmart, putting them on a cart, going into Walmart, and then returning them for money. Yes, yeah. <laughs> with their very with their very generous return policy, it is it's very good. Yeah, he and you can tell he's like really uh, having a good time about it. Yeah, but we'll learn a lot more about Farad in the next episode for sure, and it'll be good. It'll be good. Well, excellent. Is. This is uh this is a this is a great start to this uh, this game. I think. Mm-hmm. Let's hope it stays stays good. Let's hope it stays that good. Uh, Baldur's Gate levels four through seven <laughs> <laughs> forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Range Touch. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at C Kunzelman. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm at uh, Danny Ashinafi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Range Touch. YouTube.com slash Range Touch. You're probably watching this right now on that. So I don't know how you could not get there. And you can also check out our Discord. All the stuff is down in the description below. And if you really like this show and you want to get more of it, you can back us on Patreon. That's also down in the description. Um, and for $5 a month, you can listen to as many of the free things as you want. Golly gee whiz, that's that's so easy to do. But you also get an additional podcast that we do that's behind the paywall. You get all month. of them. All of them. Sometimes we do bonus podcasts. Sometimes we just can't help but talk about three Bilbo's. <laughs> You'll have to give us $5 so you get that inside joke. Yeah. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking about a proprietary product that we've created in conjunction with New Line Cinema Mm -hmm. called Three Bilbos, uh, which is a uh, rewriting of three billboards to have officially licensed characters, uh, Mm -hmm. notably three versions of Bilbo Baggins. Starred by Ian Banks. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Goodbye, I guess. Ciao.